0: This is the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Balata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto.
1: Hello everyone, and thanks for joining me tonight for another great episode of the Dating and Relationship Show on 640 Toronto. This show is where we bring you all the latest news and tips you need to know about the complex world of relationships. I'm your host, Laura Balata, founder of singleinthecity.ca. Tonight, we're going to be tackling... A very serious topic, stalking, harassment, and domestic abuse with my friend and go-to lawyer Leanne Townsend. Hello, my beautiful friend. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I haven't seen you in a while, but you're looking fabulous online. Well, thank you. She's just like, she says to me, I've been working hard. Yeah. (laughs) It does take a while though, right? Like when you want to make Changes it just doesn't happen overnight, but you are looking oh, for
2: sure. Keep doing what well, you're it's doing. a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's a, especially the older you get. I find the older you get, the harder it is to lose weight. And uh, yeah, after forty, yeah. forget about it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> now, as a family lawyer and the owner of Towns and Family Law, Leanne has over eleven years of private practice under her belt, and she brings a balanced approach to her clients with her compassion and people skills. She's amazing, guys. Uh, She's also the host of the Divorcing Well podcast available on Apple Podcasts. And tonight we're going to be looking deeper into how stalking and harassment are handled here, right here in Canada, because Leanne is Canadian and the legal implications of these situations and how you can protect yourself from this. Well, again, Leanne, thank you for joining us.
2: Happy to be here.
1: So let's start off by talking about stalking and what it really means, because I feel like stalking nowadays is no longer just about, you know, a stranger hiding in bushes. It's now recognized as a type of controlling behavior where someone tracks monitors and and tries to control another person's actions. And, And stalkers are using different methods like secret apps, GPS trackers, and even hacking into somebody's security systems to gain control for example one person's ex-partner took pictures from her security camera to to intimidate her while another person's partner would manipulate the lights in their home using a voice control device to scare them off and then in another case that i heard about a woman discovered that a teaching assistant who had been repeatedly calling and hanging up on her was the same person so, in your opinion, Leanne, I mean, does all this sound pretty accurate?
2: It does. And unfortunately, with um, you know, all the increases in our use of technology and all the new inventions, there becomes almost more ways for people to stalk or harass other people. And so um, in you know, in some cases, it's hard for the law, I think, to keep up with the technology. And currently, Um, the stalking is dealt with through criminal law primarily there are some other measures but it's primarily a criminal offense and it falls under the category of criminal harassment and in Canada um, criminal harassment is defined as engaging in conduct that causes the other person to reasonably fear for their safety and it must consist of a repeated behavior, like repeatedly following someone from place to place, repeatedly communicating with them, besetting or watching them, or engaging in threatening conduct. So that those are the parameters that would get someone charged with the offense of criminal harassment. And as we'll get into discussing, you know, one of the challenges is that some of the stalking behavior maybe doesn't meet some of these requirements, and there's a bit of a, a gap in the law in addressing it.
1: Can you provide an overview of the current state of stalking laws in Canada, Um, particularly in relation to criminal harassment?
2: Yes. So as I was just mentioning, the Criminal Code, Section 264, Subsection 1, defines what criminal harassment is and the punishment for criminal harassment, depending on whether it's prosecuted summarily or by indictment, it can be up to 10 years in jail, or six months in jail, depending on um, how it's prosecuted. Um, And that's primarily so any kind of stalking offense primarily falls under this category of criminal harassment. Um, And in addition to the charge of criminal harassment, other mechanisms that can be used uh, for some by somebody who is being stalked is they could apply Again, to the criminal courts to get something called a peace bond, which is where you get someone put on conditions that they're not to be within a certain distance of you. They're not allowed to communicate with you. and You have to establish um, you know, that you had a fear for your safety in order to get that. And then in the family law context, there's something called a restraining order where somebody can get a restraining order against someone who's been harassing them. Um, and, you know, they have to establish uh, that there's, you know, a safety element involved there as well.
1: Yeah. And you know what, I think you're you're correct in saying that technology is moving so quickly nowadays that we can't keep up. I, I mean, look at AI right now, like all these complexities and all these things that we're trying to understand. And And for certain people over a certain age, like they may never understand. I'm working day in and day out, like trying to. understand this new AI model. But um, I'm sure that because of all this technology, that these perpetrators are currently outsmarting the system. And that they, you know, the system can't seem to catch up because there's something new that comes out like all the time. What do you think?
2: I totally agree with that. And I think that's part of the problem is that, you know, technology is rapidly developing, and you know, particularly in this area of AI. And so perpetrators and hackers and people who want to misuse this technology, often they're 10 steps ahead of the game. And you know, from what I've seen with AI, um, I think it could be opening up like a whole new category of offenses and things for people to be afraid of because, you know, you can disguise your voice. So somebody could disguise their voice as someone yes. else and play, you know, do all sorts of things. I, I've heard of people getting call- very alarming calls from what they thought were loved ones. And it was, a you know, an AI scam sort of thing. So. I think that we're coming into an era where there's only going to be more problems and and more, you know, violations of people's privacy and and safety and and all of that.
1: So agree with you, and I'm a little bit scared to be honest. I am. I'm a little. Yeah, frightened
2: too. for the Future. I really am. I- well, Elon Musk says we should be. So if Elon Musk is saying we should be, then I'm going to listen. Uh-
1: Yeah, me too. Now, what are some of the challenges faced by victims of stalking when it comes to reporting the incidents to the police? Because I know that there are some.
2: Yes. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges is just getting the police to take it seriously, because often stalkers, you know, as you you mentioned a few minutes ago, it's not usually some stranger in the bushes. It's usually somebody that someone knows and they've had a relationship with. So, you know, it's an ex-boyfriend that you broke up with and he's not handling the breakup very well. And so he's sending you messages and and calling you and bothering you. And, the you know, the, so the police may view it as, well, you know, that's just your ex-boyfriend. He's not dangerous. You know, we don't need to charge him. And so getting it taken seriously is one of the biggest problems. Um, another problem is just that sometimes these types of offenses can be hard to prove. If someone is calling you from a, you know, blocked number and, you know, hanging up on you at all hours or things like that, how do you prove who's actually doing that or if someone's sending you um messages from an email address that you know you don't know who it belongs to because anyone can create an email address of some sort or you know use burner phones or things like that so sometimes part of the problem can be the police don't want to lay charge because they know that the crown's not going to be able to prove it because it's difficult uh, to prove some of these things and and it requires a lot of very advanced uh, you know technologically tracking and experts who are able to It take something and and trace it back to where it originated and so that can be part of the problem as well and then also victims like any victims of domestic violence or domestic abuse often they're fearful as well just to report it and come forward in the first place they think they won't be taken seriously or they're afraid that by reporting it the person who's doing it may escalate things and they could be an even more that's even
1: scarier But we're going to continue this conversation right after the break with my special guest, Leanne Townsend. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's news. Today's talk 640
1: Toronto. We are back. You're listening to the dating and relationship show on 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellata. Getting back to my chat with family lawyer Leanne Townsend on what you need to know about stalking and harassment in Canada. Now, before the break, we were talking about some of the challenges faced by victims of stalking when it comes to reporting incidents to the police. And are, you, are there any more points that you wanted to discuss
2: I think I answered it, um, is in terms of the things I wanted to cover for that point. OK,
1: now, are are the backlog and delays in the justice system still a thing? Because I can see this as a huge issue, too. I mean, you report an incident and even if they get arrested, chances are they're going to get out on bail because of the current legal system. And I know this by speaking to a chief police officer like just a little while ago, a few weeks ago actually after I had my wallet stolen. I had camera surveillance of of the perpetrators. they were spending my money all over town using my name to try to buy illegal substances or not illegal but controlled substances, let's just say. Um, and then you know I, I I talking to this police officer and he's like, well, what's the point? I mean if we put them in jail with the current legal system that we have in our current government, They're just going to get out in 24 hours and and then they're going to just get out and do it all over again. (laughs) I said, where is the safety in that? I mean, like, seriously. So basically, uh, lock your doors and you're on your own is, is what he's essentially saying. Now, this delay can create a situation where victims have to wait for months or even years to see justice served, which prolongs their exposure to potential harm. What do you think about that, man? Because like the backlogs, are they still a thing? Because I'm assuming they are.
2: They're definitely still a thing. And I completely agree, Laura, with everything you just said. You know, essentially, victims are like sitting ducks in some situation where, you know, they're, they're terrified of this person and that this person is going to do something. Um, But our law is very reactive rather than proactive. It waits until somebody's done something, you know, before they can be charged and arrested and, you know, taken to jail potentially. So if you think someone's going to do something and you really strongly believe it, and they've been saying they're going to, you know, sometimes you, you do feel like a sitting duck. And you made another comment that is so accurate, which is that, Unfortunately, our system is very uh, release oriented. So when Mm -hmm. people do get charged, they're released. It's very onerous now for the Crown to be able to get someone detained in custody pending a trial. The system is designed to release most people. So you have people who are violating Um, you know, maybe they're already on a criminal harassment charge and they violate it while they're out on bail and then they get released again, only to violate it again. And that's part of the problem. There's this revolving door. It's not taken seriously. People are not locked up. Um, They're released all too easily. And, you know, even when they are, you know, say, finally convicted and you can say you've had success that way, the, the sentence might be so minimal that it doesn't deter them And they're, you know, released, they're put on probation, say, with conditions, and then they go violate those probation conditions. Because the reality is somebody who is a serious stalker, who's most likely to harm somebody, is not going to be deterred by breaching, you know, a bail condition or a probation order.
1: And another thing that the police officer said, Leanne, was that we don't want to use taxpayers' money to keep them in there. And I was thinking, is it the government that doesn't want to use taxpayers' money because they want to use the taxpayers' money somewhere else? Or is it us, the people that don't want to keep them in there? So I'm not not sure about that one, but.
2: Well, and I think it's a policy issue. I mean, it is expensive to keep people in jail. We have to have spots in the jails. So if we're going to detain more people, then more money needs to be, you know, going towards building prisons and jails and staffing them. And that's a whole other problem. So the system is built so that it's very release oriented. And I remember from my days as a Crown Attorney that, You know, the criteria for detaining someone are very stringent. And the idea is to, you know, release most people who are charged with a criminal offense. And part of the logic behind that is as well, is that you're supposed to be deemed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So someone charged with criminal harassment, if if they haven't been convicted, uh, we're supposed to presume that they're innocent. So locking them up pending trial is, you know, something that's frowned upon unless It's, you know, they are really considered to be likely to re-offend and be dangerous. So Statistics Canada also,
1: uh, well, there was a data shown from Statistics Canada um, where 8 out of 10 victims of criminal harassment are women and 9 out of 10 stalkers are men. Now, because of this, would you say that sexist biases and stereotypes can influence the way police perceive and handle stalking cases?
2: I think so. I mean, given that females are predominantly the, the victims of it, and I think that that's one of the reasons why it hasn't been taken that seriously. And, it, you know, as you say, it's just looked at as a scorned boyfriend or something like a scorned husband or whatever, who's, you know, not taking the breakup well, rather than taken, you know, seriously, is that this person is a threat to this person's safety. And, it could result in a in a homicide because it, there's a a significant you know correlation between serious stalking behavior and and homicides that is you know is a precursor to homicide so you know all the more reason why it should be taken seriously and i think that there is a a gender bias that's uh historically been there and i think that only through more I guess, education and awareness and, you know, perhaps making the laws a little tougher as well, will we be able to move away from that?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and stalking has definitely changed, especially in today's world, in the age of social media and digital surveillance. I mean, cyber stalking is a big thing now. You know, people are using electronic platforms like social media to harass, to intimidate, to monitor people. Online surveillance, uh, monitoring somebody's online activities, you know, including their locations, their social media posts, and hacking into their accounts. Someone's trying to hack into my account almost daily. <laughs> impersonation, impersonation, right? I don't know about you.
2: Yeah. yep. I get that all the time. I've had people impersonate me. And when you post photos, like anyone can screenshot it and have, you know, photos of you that they keep and do Lord knows what with, uh, you know, and that's one of the problems with social media.
1: Yeah. So impersonation and identity theft, pretending to be somebody else online or using a personal information. I had somebody email me yesterday saying, hey, someone's using your picture to try to scam people out of cryptos or something. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, you're right, Leanne, it happens all the time, especially if you're somewhat of a public figure online. How about online harassment and threats? you know, sending continuous harassing or threatening messages through different online channels. I mean, this is all happening right now. Leanne, what specific changes or additions do you believe should be made to the criminal code to better address the evolving nature of stalking, especially in the age of social media and digital surveillance? Because I think it's a big problem. And uh, I don't feel like the legal provisions in the criminal code cover all the complexities of stalking in this uh, age of social media.
2: They definitely don't. And I think one of the changes that uh, people are discussing making is removing the requirement in criminal harassment that somebody has to fear for their safety, because that sometimes, um, you know, something can be harassing and upsetting, but maybe you don't fear for your physical safety. So broadening it, Um, to that it affects your ability to move about your daily life. And so broadening the definition to, to something like that would catch more cases of it. So that would be one example. I think we have to speed up the access to justice as well. This situation of having people act, you know, feeling like sitting ducks waiting for something to happen that has to stop. And so there needs to be more resources to get things through the system faster, or maybe these types of cases could be streamlined and given higher priority so that they get faster court dates and things don't take as long. Uh, as we were discussing before, they also need to just take these kind of cases more seriously, that's a huge element. Um, and in some countries, um, I think Scotland is one of them, they actually have an offense called coercive control. And there's some advocates here in Canada and Toronto that think that this is something we should consider having here and adding something to our criminal code that's an offense of coercive control that could be a catch-all for some of these types of offenses as well
1: very interesting we're going to take a moment to regroup and hear from our sponsors and when we return we're going to continue our conversation with leanne townsend we're going to get into discussing the concept of coercive control and how it relates to stalking stay tuned
0: Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's news, today's talk, 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. It's Sunday night. You're listening to 640 Toronto. We're getting back to our chat on how to raise awareness for stalking and harassment issues and victims with family lawyer Leanne Townsend of Townsend Family Law. Welcome back. Let's discuss the concept of coercive control and how it relates to stalking. Can you explain what it is and how it should be addressed legally?
2: Yes. So coercive control refers to behavior by a current or former partner that causes the victim to fear that they will be physically harmed or causes their mental health to decline or causes the victim such alarm or distress that there's a substantial effect on their day-to-day activities. And there right now, there's a, a private member's bill that's been put forward to make course of control uh, a criminal offense. Um and I'm not quite sure where the status is on it. I know it hasn't you know made it through readings and been made into law, but it is something that is being considered. And interestingly, in family law, we also have the concept of course of control. And some amendments were made. Um, a couple of years ago to the Divorce Act and involving the definition of what is considered to be domestic violence. And coercive control in family law is considered to be a pattern of abusive behavior that people use to control or dominate another family member. And it can, can, can include emotional, psychological, sexual, financial, or any other type of abuse. So coercive control is it's all encompassing and it's a pattern of behavior that is at the core of you know any type of intimate partner abuse and certainly stalking behavior is also at its core it's it's about coercive control over the person that is you know the stalker is stalking
1: mhm and uh, thank you for all of that uh, let's discuss a recent case uh, in the introduction of a law that comes back to domestic abuse and coercive control and that's kira's law and just to give you a little bit of the backstory, kira was four at the time of her death and believed to be part of a I believe she was part of a murder suicide the perpetrator being her dad now the mother tried to call attention to the danger her daughter's father presented to kira a while before her death she said she went to court to seek protection for kira from the violent and coercive behavior of her ex-husband. And then it was downplayed by the judge saying that domestic violence is not relevant to parenting. Now that's just a bit of the story. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that story or if you just want me to get into my question about it. I think I, I said enough about it, but I'm not sure. Is there any more that we want to add to that?
2: Um, Just the only thing I would add is just that when that, when the matter went to trial, um, it was before a judge who had a background in labor and employment law mm-hmm. rather than, you know, any understanding of domestic violence or background even in family law or criminal law. And so that was, I think, part of the challenge or problem in the case is the the lack of understanding of the issue by the judge.
1: But why would that happen in the first place?
2: Well, sadly, that happens all the time. Uh, You know, I even in my own practice, I have had cases involving domestic violence where I've been before a judge who clearly was a corporate commercial lawyer and all their legal experience was in corporate commercial law. And they had no understanding whatsoever of domestic violence and the, the nuances of it and, and why you know, victims don't call the police and how someone, you know, someone's afraid to have someone charged. This judge had no understanding of that. And so that's the way our our system works here in in Canada is that when someone's appointed to be a judge, they may sit in on a whole number of types of cases, but meanwhile, their whole background as a lawyer was in an entirely different area of law. Um, And so that's what, you know, was at the heart of the problem here and, and Kira's law What it's about is educating mandatory education of the judiciary on coercive control on domestic violence so that another situation like that doesn't happen again, where you have a judge who just doesn't understand, you know, the the dynamics of domestic violence and doesn't take it seriously and and doesn't think it can impact parenting, because that's something that with the changes to the Divorce Act um, that have been recognized that coercive control and domestic violence does have an impact on, on parenting and it does have an impact on children. Uh, you know, it used to be that you, somebody could be an abuser and the courts would say that, well, they could still be a good parent. That's the dynamic between him and and, and her, this, the, the parents, it's not to do with the children. Whereas now there's a greater recognition that these behaviors uh, can also impact somebody's ability to parent.
1: I love it. I do everything that you said and and hopefully that they're um, they're taking the right steps to, to fix this issue too. Like with the courts, I mean, are they doing anything about that? Well, that would be frustrating as a lawyer. Definitely, It is
2: frustrating. I mean, they're creating, as you say, like there's mandatory education now that the judges will have to go through, but I I find it rather shocking that they didn't have this, you know, in the first place uh, because Mm -hmm. when I was a crown attorney, We had to do extensive training and education in the area of domestic violence. Now, you know, as a member, as a family lawyer, it's different. We have to do continuing education, but you don't necessarily have to do it in that specific area. And I guess that's how it's been for the judiciary. But, you know, to think that you could have a labor lawyer sitting in on a domestic violence case to me is crazy. That should never have happened in the first place. So at least Kira's law will ensure that it doesn't happen again.
1: Um, Are there any recommendations and initiatives that can help raise awareness about stalking and maybe provide better support for survivors in Canada?
2: I'm not aware of any specific initiatives that are out there, but I do think there just needs to be more emphasis on public education and bringing awareness, you know, going into the schools even and educating high school students about stalking behavior and domestic violence and, and all of that. Um, But I'm not aware of something specific that's being done. But there definitely is a need for it. And I think that all of that will be helpful in terms of, you know, educating people that it's something that needs to be taken seriously, that it can result in something very serious like somebody being killed or or hurt. It's not something we should be minimizing. And I think by teaching high school students who are, you know, starting their first usually, you know, romantic relationships at that age, it's important that they understand what stalking behavior is and that it's not acceptable. And that if you're a victim of that sort of behavior, don't keep quiet about it. Tell your parents, tell your teachers. And we need to, make it so that people feel comfortable and not afraid to share that they're a victim of this sort of behavior and that they so they don't feel embarrassed or blame themselves because that's another problem. Sometimes, you know, women in particular, they blame themselves, they think they've done something to encourage the behavior. And again, through public education and awareness, we can help people realize that it's not their fault and that this behavior does need to be taken seriously.
1: Yeah, and I feel like there needs to be more education for students at the high school level. I agree. I also, you know, and I often think about myself going around and teaching students about the fundamentals of dating and, and safety when it comes to dating. Because I feel like dating has changed so much. And I'm not sure if these students are getting the correct information. <laughs> You know, so I, I feel like there needs to be, yeah, more education for students, especially at that high school level. Do you, you agree with me, Leanne?
2: I totally agree, and especially with social media, because, you know, high school kids like social media is such an important part of their lives. And, you know, so many kids experience cyberbullying and there's starting to be some education surrounding that. But I don't think I'm not hearing anything about initiatives, you know, in the area of cyber stalking and, and that sort of behavior. And so I think it is really important that young people get educated on it because I'm sure there's tons of it going on um, and they may not even be aware that it's it's an inappropriate behavior.
1: Yeah. And so in your opinion, then, um, maybe one of the roles that individuals or communities can play in in combating stalking and supporting survivors is maybe having a peer support group or network or something where, you know, a bunch of the survivors uh, can connect, share experiences, access mutual support and that's, and all of that. And I'm sure there are some support groups out there right now for that. Yeah.
2: I think that's a great idea because I find with so many of these things, like talking about them is what, you know, helps people realize they're not alone, it helps them feel comfortable reaching out for help, um, and reporting it and all of those things. So support groups, you know, more public discussion, all of those things, I think would be helpful.
1: Yeah, now we're going to take one last short break. Stay tuned as we continue our conversation with family lawyer, Leanne Townsend on stalking and cyberbullying in Canada.
0: ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty Toronto.
1: What a great show tonight, guys! You're listening to the dating and relationship show on Six Forty Toronto. I'm Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca with my special guest Leanne Townsend. Getting back to our discussion on protecting yourself from harassment, that's what we're going to discuss right now. Uh, Leanne, how can survivors of stalking protect themselves? It's very prevalent nowadays, right? So we really need to ensure that um, a lot of these survivors are getting the information that they need. So what legal steps can they take to ensure their safety and hold their stalkers accountable? Because the stalker should be held accountable.
2: Yeah, so there's a couple elements to this. And the first is more of a proactive approach before even getting to the point of legal steps. And I think that people need to be aware when they're posting on social media and they're on, you know, public forums, they they need to be mindful of using their privacy settings and and restricting maybe who has access to their account and their photos and and their posts. And I think people need to be mindful of what they share on social media. I, you know, sometimes people, um, you know, share a lot of detailed information, and that gives you know potential stalkers. Uh, a lot of access to details of your life that they could potentially use to harm you. So I think people need to be mindful of what they're sharing. Don't accept friend requests from people you don't know. Just be overall wise about anything that you're doing online or in social media. Now, in terms of... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just
1: going to say, it's so difficult, though, as a public figure, because I can't really set my account to private, I had this lady, I'll give an example. She reached out to me a few weeks ago. She was, she knows that I'm, she's obviously stalking my account. She knows I'm friends with someone. She's trying to reach out to this person and she's threatening me like as if I have anything to do with her situation with this person. And she's like, don't bother blocking me because there are, I have 200 people following you. And I'm thinking, who is this crazy person? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you contacting me? Uh, because I'm friends with someone that you have a vendetta against. Don't be reaching out to me. So in that case, like, do you think that's something that I, could I do something about that if if that don't know if that escalated there has
2: there has to be like a threat threatening behavior there has to be a crime, like either a criminal offense which from what you've said it doesn't sound like there is um, but if it
1: escalated to something greater where she was harassing me
0: for yeah i
2: mean if it escalated into like where you were fearing for your safety then you could have the elements of criminal harassment Um, Or, you know, if there's something defamatory about it, then, you know, you have a civil cause of action in in terms of, you know, defamation or libel or, you know, if they're saying things about you that could hurt your reputation. Um, But there isn't something that covers, you know, somebody just kind of being annoying, but not maybe causing you to fear for your safety and not damaging your reputation. And that's the problem. Mm hmm. Well, I was going to say, because you asked also what legal steps someone can take to ensure that they hold stalkers accountable. And so, I mean, the first starting point would be if someone is harassing you, stalking you, call the police and report it. Uh, And, you know, because if you are fearing for your safety, it does meet the elements of criminal harassment and this person can be charged uh, you could also get a family law restraining order. If it's, you know, somebody that you're in a relationship with, you can go to the family court and get a restraining order. And that might be a little bit faster than uh, the criminal charges going through the system. You could also apply to get a peace bond, uh, which is through the criminal courts. And it's not a criminal offense. It doesn't make it a criminal offense, but it can put somebody on conditions that they're not to come within a certain distance of you and they're not allowed to communicate with you. So those sorts of things are are legal steps that somebody can take. Um, and it's really important. I think if you are being harassed or stalked, you know, to, to, Save evidence. So, you know, if someone is sending you harassing messages by, you know, text or by DMs, make sure you save them. You know, sometimes when something is upsetting, our first in- instinct can be to just delete it because we don't want to look at it. But you don't want to do that because if if this person, you know, is dangerous and, and should be charged, you're going to need these messages to turn over to the police that will help, you know, as being evidence against this person. So you want to make sure that any, or if you can take photos of, you know, if somebody's watching you or they're near your home and you can get a photo of it, that type of stuff is really important.
1: Yeah. And looking ahead, Leanne, what changes or improvements do you hope to see in Canada's legal system and society as a whole regarding the handling of stalking and support for survivors?
2: Well, first off, I hope to see it taken more seriously because it, I don't think it it still is being taken as seriously as it should be. So that how can so- it?
1: But I I don't understand how it cannot be taken so seriously. Like I just don't understand.
2: I don't understand it either, but it but it isn't, you know, and, and that's why, sadly, there's people being murdered because it wasn't taken seriously, either it wasn't taken seriously enough to charge someone or they've been charged and they're just released. So there maybe needs to be in these types of cases, there needs to be an overhaul in terms of the the legal, the, the, the justice system in terms of how what criteria someone can be released for. And maybe it needs to be more stringent. and There needs to be stiffer penalties, I think, as well. Because right now, if somebody knows the consequences are not going to be too severe, it doesn't deter them from engaging in this type of behavior. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. there's
1: a wait, I just want to say quickly before you move to your next thought, I think there's an attitude out there and the attitude as well, there are more important things that we're dealing with right now. And so we'll get to this.
2: <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and that comes down to like, I think there needs to be more enforcement because it is, it's not, it's, it's, again, it's like a spurned lover or a spurned boyfriend and, oh, you know, it's not a big deal, but it, it could be a big deal. And so we do need to take it more seriously, have more enforcement and one of the things that came out of Kira's law is um, the idea of having more electronic mon- monitoring devices on people who are released on condition. So I think yes. that's a good idea as well. Yeah, You know, if we can <laughs> put have that be mandatory, right? If if someone is charged with, say, criminal harassment, it's mandatory that if they're released that they have to have an electronic monitoring device. That would help significantly in, you know, knowing where they are and alerting the police if they're somewhere they're not supposed to be.
1: Leanne, amazing show. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you joining us. I asked you quite a few things, but is there anything that I left out that you feel that we need to... Um, you know, get out there.
2: The only thing I would say is that if you're listening to the show tonight and you are somebody who is ha, feels that you're a victim of this type of behavior, or you're thinking about it and you're thinking, "Hey, like, wait a minute, my ex-boyfriend is doing this," and I was kind of dismissing it myself or not taking it that seriously, and maybe I should be. Um, I would say take it seriously and. Uh, You know, if you are afraid, um, women's shelters have all types of resources uh, for people who are victims of this type of behavior. So reach out to your closest um, local women's shelter. As I said, reach out to the police. Uh, Have a safety plan. If you are being stopped, sit down. With, you know, either you could do it with a lawyer, you could do it with a, you know, women's shelter, social worker at a women's shelter, but develop a safety plan so that if something happens, you know how to get to safety or, or the, you know, the police will be alerted or somebody will be alerted who can call the police, you definitely need to have a plan in place to protect yourself
1: hmm Don't do it alone. You definitely need to let people know what's happening and what's going on. So again, Leanne, thank you so much for joining us and for providing your expertise on stalking, harassment, and domestic abuse. And I hope... Um, you know, that tonight's show was able to shed a little more light on these situations and what you can do if you or someone, you know, um, you know, find yourself in need of help. And uh, remember to stay informed about your rights and take proactive steps to ensure your safety. Leanne, you are an amazing family lawyer. And I want to make sure that uh, everybody goes to your page. And if anybody needs your help, that they definitely reach out to you. Where can they find you?
2: They can find me at townsendfamilylaw.ca. That's my website. And all of my other contact information is there. I'm active on social media, but you can find my social media tags on my website.
1: Amazing. And we can uh, keep the conversation going. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok, official Laura Belada. Join my events at singleinthecity.ca and find love. Thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. Ciao for now.